Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the Mage 20th Anniversary Edition rules by Onyx Path Publishing. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try hard to stick to themes for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast includes mature situations and scenes and potentially paradox-inducing backlashes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., which may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Dunn, and for tonight's game, I will be your storyteller. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your storyteller this evening, storyteller Michael, and I want to welcome you to Mage, the Victorian era. And so, before we get started, we'd like to thank all our listeners and thank our Patreon backers who support the show. We truly appreciate all you do for us. Now, we want to get to the story, but before we do, I need to introduce my cast, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves and tell us what they do. So to my right. Hi, I'm Travis Legg. My pronouns are he, they, uh, and I write and develop role-playing games, I guess. And then I run them sometimes on Twitch, um, with, uh, largely with the Onyx Path, uh, also with, uh, Aegis Studios, which is my own company. And today I'm playing, uh, Marshall John North. Yes. Marshall John North. Excellent. And to Travis's right. Hello, I'm Keeper Murph or Murph from the Miskatonic University podcast. Tonight I will be playing Jamie. Indeed you will. Indeed you will. And to Murph, right? Uh, hi, this is uh, Alex playing Xander Sands, the Conjurer, personal trainer and uh, cast member of the Old Ways podcast, theoldwayspodcast.com. Subscribe to us on Patreon. Absolutely. Thank you much. And last but most certainly not least. This is Allie, and I am playing Luella Masters, and I play Katerina Bogdanovich for the Old Ways podcast. Indeed you do. Okay. So we're going to be dipping into Mage, which is um, a wonderful role-playing game. If you've never checked it out, uh, I definitely hope after listening to this, you will. And I want to make a couple of things clear before we get into the meat and potatoes of what we're going to present for you tonight. Now, Onyx Path is creating, and likely by the time of this recorded, has probably released to its backers uh, a PDF version of Mage the Victorian Era. We, we do not have that on hand tonight, so much of this is going to be free form for, for what we're going to do in the Victorian Era. But our goal is to give you a little bit of the flavor of Mage and a little bit of the era, right? Uh, so settle in because we have quite the show for you. On the morning of May 1st, 1893, the crowd of over 300,000 people began gathering at a new city built on the shore of Lake Michigan, roughly seven miles from downtown Chicago. The morning began gray and overcast, but around 1030, the sky cleared and the sun shone down on a gleaming city filled with structures of almost impossible size and grandeur. A new Rome, or Venice. An elegant city of canals and classical columns. But unlike Rome or Venice, 
This was temporary. Built in just two years on a reclaimed swamp in Chicago, Illinois. The press had dubbed it the White City, which was built to be the home of the World's Columbian Exposition of 1893, the Chicago's World Fair. The fair was built to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Columbus discovering America in 1492, even if in 1893, when it actually began, it was one year past the anniversary. After three years of careful planning and building, today the fair would officially open. An enormous crowd waited through the morning while a parade of dignitaries spoke to a platform in front of the fair's administration building, which looked like a slightly smaller version of the U.S. Capitol, sitting on the west side of a group of buildings known as the Court of Honor. These six enormous buildings, with classically white columns, surrounded a basin of water uh, where many fountains sat at one end. It's this setting that we'll find ourselves in. But we're going to dial the clock a little forward. And so, several months have passed since the exposition opened. Several beautiful and wonderful months have been spent in Chicago's warm summer and now early fall as the exposition nears its end. Slated to wrap up near the end of October, many of the wonders you've been able to see and experience have been written into the papers. Automated walkways, Tesla's amazing lighting system here through Westinghouse, and many things that you would come to know throughout your years past. Things like hot dogs and juicy fruit bubblegum. Many wonderful things are on display here at the exposition. But as our Halloween-timed show begins, we will begin on October 30th. All Hallows Eve, 1893. The time of day is 9 a.m. So, Xander, you are late. This isn't a great big shock to you, of course. You've never been great at telling time. And many of the things that you had hoped to get done to prepare for, well, the closing day, when many of the same crowds that surged in in May would resurge to see the closing ceremonies, you're a, you're a bit behind on some of those tasks. It's been an interesting summer, if nothing, nothing else. You've managed to make a, a groove for yourself here amongst some of the visitors of Chicago. You've managed to ply your trade. You've managed to gather together quite a few fans, new, new fans. And uh, around June or so, you managed to get a photograph in the paper alongside some other, we'll say, illusionist magicians. And this has been good for business. And it's been good for your your mental state because before the exposition had been a little difficult to um, to make ends meet, we'll say. But now you're late. You had a very important tea time with a a pretty important business client, and you're hustling your way through the exposition in hope to meet them at one of the cafes nearby. Okay. How late am I? Well, no more than maybe five or ten minutes. Something you can 
fairly easily explain away. Although the crowds here at the final day are not helping at all. Of course not. And my uh, my assistant Ruby is likely managing affairs at wherever our uh, whatever we're using right now as a so a, a warehouse for our tricks and wares and inventory. So I will. Mm-hmm. You said it was nine a.m. Mm-hmm. and the crowds are in the way. This is not the time or place to sidestep such mundane things. So I will be mindful of my practice and carry on frustratingly, willfully, and do my best to navigate the crowd. I I will, however, open my senses a bit to the space around me so as to help navigate my uh, my position a bit. All right. How do you feel like he would go about doing that? Well, I'm, I've, I've been, we've been here for about three months now, you said, right? Roughly, yeah. I will take out whatever passes for my probably tourist map or what have you of the, uh, of the, the area. And as I walk, I will, rather than paying attention to the crowd, I will take one of my uh, quills out from my coat and as I'm walking, I'm going to make little circles on the map where people are so that I can avoid them. And I will use the map to navigate as opposed to my mundane sense of direction. Okay. Yeah, the map is fairly thorough. You probably have notes on your map at this point. At least some notes to things to check in later. This is probably some of your initial notes that you took in in May, but others might be notes on where it's best to perform, where it's best to draw crowds, that sort of thing. Right now I'm looking to avoid them. So I guess for for the sake of uh, cutting to the rules part of things, I'll be using uh, my first sphere of correspondence to increase my spatial awareness expand your mind's eye yes yes i will use my beyond sight okay it makes cutting through the crowds an awful the easier task that's for sure avoiding people is far far easier when you can see completely around you and you've gotten used to not only just the sight but also the reactions of people when you make your way through crowds now A lot of people, when you have to cut corners or cut through crowds, they're not used to someone being in that space or being able to take up that space momentarily. And there's a extra added, um, we'll say, enjoyment factor of being able to be sort of untouchable in that regard. Slipping in between the spaces where I feel will serve me best at this point. Certainly. It doesn't take you too long to get to your appointed space. Uh, But when you do, the table is empty. Maybe they're late. I look for, uh, what type of place was it? Is it like a cafe or restaurant? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a cafe. Was it um, kind of a, what was there like a a host or a host stand or anything like that? Or No, it's a little bit more um, 
we'll say liberated than that. It's not as stringent as to have a stand, but the one thing you do notice is that the the man behind the bar, he uh, raises his, his hand just slightly to you. He says, uh, if you were supposed to meet her there, you are late, buddy. I will check my pockets for my pocket watch and realize that it is not there. Uh, it's a shame, really. The crowds are just really too... I don't suppose you saw which way she went. He scratches his clean-shaven face for a moment. Yeah, I think she went out into the right a little bit. I think she was planning on heading to the, uh, well, to the canals. It's got last day people are going to get chances to see him by boat, you know. Of course. The canals. I must make haste. Good luck. You hear him call over your shoulders. You're hustling back out. You get down in and around the beginnings of the canal area, and you see a elegantly dressed woman, although not in a ton of finery, but she's done up enough that she fits the description of the person that you were supposed to meet. And she turns around just as you're getting there. And I'd like you to roll perception awareness for me. That would be three successes. You can tell stitched across her face is a little bit of annoyance. Just a little bit. Um, But she... She nods as you uh, approach a little closer. What do I? What is her name? Do I know her name? Uh, yes, her name is Madeline. Madeline Walker. Deepest apologies, uh, Madam Walker. I, uh, I have no excuse save, but I do. Uh, I do have an offering of sorts, and I will produce a rose. She uh, blushes just slightly and, and smiles. It's going to take quite a bit more than flowers for such a uh, a faux pas. Uh, I will snap my fingers and ignite the rose and produce a dozen flowers. Okay. How would you like to do that, sir? So I will be utilizing my fetch rote uh, correspondence mm-hmm. to matter to. So for our audience at home, yes. why don't you, Alex, explain what a rote is? A rote is a kind of predetermined set of... Uh, uh, tasks that you try to perform with magic using the spheres of magic at your disposal in conjunction with one another or singly. In this case, I'll be using my second sphere of correspondence to reach into the universal space of things and combining that with my matter spheres to interact with inanimate objects like the flowers at my warehouse. Now, normally, producing flowers out of, in the middle of nowhere would be um, a little hard to explain. Mm-hmm. Yes? But you're reaching where exactly? Oh, so I have the rose out held to her. When I snap my fingers, it ignites. And then I shake my hand and there's a dozen roses there. Right. And you are um, leaning heavily on your um, appearance and reputation as a mu- as a magician. To make this effect what we would call con- consensual. Yes, it's the only reason that I think that she would buy it. And as as I believe, people will believe any lie told to them that they wish were true or can be led to fear may be true. Um, but to do so, one must take the observer from the ordinary to the extraordinary to the astonishing. So I will dress it appropriately. 
All right, fair enough. Go ahead and give me an RT roll. I will be spending a point of quintessence on this to lower the difficulty. So it's high sphere plus three. Do I, will I need to use my blatancy for this? Or is she already buying it? I suppose that depends on the onlookers. Uh, yeah, it does depend on the onlookers. I will say that there's a few enough direct onlookers that you shouldn't have to use blatancy for it. Okay. It's high sphere. So two plus three is five minus one is four. Mm, yeah. That'd be two successes. Okay. The rose bursts into flames and you give it a good shake. And once you do, it blossoms into a dozen. And she stands back, completely surprised. Oh my. Well, that's that's fantastic. She uh, warms audibly. A bit sadly, but the best I can do on short notice. Well, uh, they had said, uh, the papers and some of my social friends had said that uh, they'd caught your show and that you were truly fantastic to watch perform. And so I thought you might be interested in seeing something later on this evening. I don't mean to be forward, of course, but um, there is a uh, many, many great feats of engineering here, as you well know. And I was given this invitation to give to you. She sort of extends a white card to you. To give to me? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, yes. Yes, um, there is a uh, fantastic engineer here. Many of them, of course, but there's one that has a a final showing this evening, and I'm going to be in attendance. I thought you might be interested. Oh, there is a fine line between magic and science, and I find them both quite delightful. I'll take the card. You take the card. The card is fairly professionally done. It's not like a business card as we would be used to in the present day. It's much wider and much taller. It, uh, it looks more like an invitation than it does a business card. On it, there's uh, displayed over a really nice black typeface with some some um, elegantly done writing. There is a uh, a series of a series of words displayed, and so it says uh, the the fantastic uh, the fantastic Matthew and his magnificent machine. Intriguing. And it gives a a series of numbers at the bottom of it. And you know that some of these denote to placement on the fair map about where to find it. Is this the, is this the, uh, kind of the opening of this event? He's, he's presenting it on the very last day. He meant to, from what I hear, open it a little earlier than this, but the, uh, He's ran into some trouble, and he's finally gotten all of his pieces working, he says. And it's supposed to be truly magnificent. He had to um, he had to speak with Mr. Tesla, it seems, to figure out the uh, electrical power. Hmm. You can tell she fumbles over the words. If the machine is truly as magnificent as, uh, as he plans, or as he is claiming, then electricity can be no small part of it, I'm sure. My intention is to be there promptly at 6 p.m. She says promptly, I wince. <laughs> she smiles. I, I would not um, I would not at all be disappointed to see you. I do aim to please. So I'll leave you there. Marshall? Yeah? It has been a week. I say it's been a week because Chicago, while not a lawless town, has definitely needed your attention for some time. Sure. 
You spend most of the, your days, at least for the past couple of years, on the road. Uh, a marshal's work takes you all, all over the United States. Uh, most recently, you've been in Kansas City and St. Louis. But word got to you about a month ago or so that several ne'er-do-wells were making their home in and around the fair in Chicago. And many of the local marshals there were asking for assistance from experienced lawmen. All right. Since your arrival, you have detained no, no fewer than 18 individuals. Ooh. Um, it has been a very, very busy fair for you. Unfortunately, most of them are petty larceny and uh, there's been some altercations Nothing that's required you to use firearms at this point. While that's not necessarily the end goal at all for you, uh, it is something that you pride yourself on. You know that at the end of this exposition, there is going to be a final closing event. And that this will be a great draw to many of the people of society who wish to prey on those who have more. Uh, you are also looking for a very, very dangerous man. And is rumored that he is still here in the fair. He's a businessman. But he has been keeping his trail fairly clear from you at this point. You've spent the better part of the past five or six days trying to get handle on him. And what's this guy's name? Uh, so this man's name is... Darren Weatherford. Mr. Weatherford runs a notorious series of clothing businesses. Anything from production to sales. And he also runs them in relatively dangerous conditions. And he tends to run them for as cheaply as possible. Why he has come under your specific ire is it has come to the marshal's understanding that he has been known to be violating certain, we'll say, recently changed laws when it comes to his employees. Oh, gotcha. All right. And he has done everything possible to avoid you. Uh, he has been served already, although not in person. And worse yet... Uh, he has been willing to shut down businesses to keep from the law finding him. All while making money hand over fist. All right. Well, what I would like to try to do a couple things. First of all, uh, being as I'm um, not quite as uh, adept with the magics as some of my companions, uh, there are a couple things I would like to make sure I've prepared for the evening. Certainly. I would like to make sure that I have cast my magic bullets enchantment, which allows me to create a handful of bullets that deal additional die damage. Mm -hmm. Using ritual magic, so it's, I'll probably spend about the first hour of my morning in ritual. So I'm probably getting up before the sun. Certainly. If I know I've got to be out at an investigation. And I wouldn't necessarily do this on any day, but I got a feeling that if I'm trying to hunt down somebody that, there might be some trouble. And so the two things I wanted to do is I wanted to do the magic bullets so that my guns got an additional plus one damage to them. And I wanted to cast always armed okay. because this seems like the kind of guy I might have to 
hand over my gun to get into a room with. But if I have a handy dandy uh, ritual that lets me just slap my hip and have a gun appear in it, then uh, <laughs> it could be proved most useful. Absolutely. So sorcerers hang spells. They they prepare them before they utilize them later. I guess give us an idea from a sorcerer's perspective in mage what that process is like. Well, so uh, what I'm doing at the moment is is ritual magic, which uh, basically. Um, I'm engaging the tools that I've learned. I've learned how to uh, utilize quick thinking and uh, a sort of a creative approach to existing symbols and numerology as a result of my time with uh, studying with the Arcanum. And I also studied intensely the art of creating firearms and tinkering with them, making bullets, all that stuff. So I'm sort of combining that numerology with the bullets, making sure that things are being poured, uh, they're being tapped, everything's happening with a certain mathematical rhythmic number to it to, to really coat in that maximum damage potential. And how that reflects system-wise is it, it becomes a wits and firearms role. Okay. And that's difficult, standard difficulty six? All path magic is equal to the rating plus four. Okay. So, because that because uh, magic bullets is a level one ritual, my difficulty would be five. Fantastic! Give us a roll. All right, so that's one, two, three, four, five, six successes on magic bullets. So, can I fill one six shooter with ma- with one magic bullet each in it? Yeah. Sweet. That yeah. seems reasonable. And then I want to make sure that both of my guns, if at all possible, will return to my hip. Now that is a level three ritual, so that is difficulty seven. Same dice pool of Wits Firearms. Not quite as impressive, but that's two... It's a difficulty seven, right? Three successes. Three successes. Yep. So that's the first hour of my day is making sure those two rituals have been completed. Okay. So do you you couch your rituals in any uh, any religious beliefs that tie into or is it simply mathematics for you is it is it that sort of for me it's about it's it's about the mathematics the numerology the connection to i was taught by the arcanum that there are certain mathematical truths to the universe and if you can tap into those mathematical truths you can achieve amazing things and so that's really what it's all based off of math numerology numbers things along those lines okay so we'll say that you're definitely up before the sun, uh, especially on this fall morning. And it does take you several hours to prepare yourself for uh, Mr. Weatherton. But you feel after preparing the bullets and preparing the guns that uh, should you land your quarry today, you shouldn't have any issue uh, being capably prepared to deal with him. Um, it isn't uncommon for a man of his ilk to have people who protect him. Obviously, if he's in that sort of business, using that sort of practices, he's probably not wandering out alone. Right. I'm sure. Yeah. Right. And it isn't like Chicago has banned firearms at this point. That's true. Um, I mean, and so I'm sure he's probably carrying. I'm sure anybody that he's working with is probably carrying. I'm definitely carrying. Like, I'm not like trying to sneak guns in anywhere. Um, you know, I have a, I'm also proudly displaying my, <laughs> you're, you're a United States Marshal. You don't have to hide your guns. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, that's one of the benefits. Right. You have um, uh, what? Four levels of certification. Uh, I have certification for you. Yes. Yeah, so you're, yeah. you're, you're good. Yeah. So in most places, I think I will, um, probably 
Now, have I been in Chicago long enough to know to know kind of where to go and who to talk to gain information of a more uh, from unsavory folk, right? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I the majority of uh, Chicago in this area is. Keep in mind too that the the fair itself is butted up not too far from where the stockyards are in the s- south part of the, the the city, right? So beyond all of the fair and the um, <laughs> the beauty, which is the White City, not too far from that is basically a bunch of cattle killing fields right. and, and butcheries, right? So there are there are more than enough spaces near the stockyards area where there are bars and taverns. Um, there's also the Levy District, which in Chicago at the time is basically, in effect, Sin City. It's where all the sex work is. It's where all of the um, the the lascivious parts sure. exist at. So yeah, absolutely, you'd you'd have space there. Well, I would like to, if at all possible, as well, uh, engage uh, my spies that I might have uh, throughout. I do have two dots of spies, so just I'm trying to see like kind of what the word on the street is about this fellow or any of his operations. And even if I can't find him, if I can find somebody that might know him, who I can um, like smack around until I get answers, uh, that's fine too. Because I mean at the end of the day, while uh, I am on, I am in the right here, I'm also still a cop. So Yeah, well and you're going to use that sort of societal leverage of I'm the law and you're not uh, to your advantage because that's what cops do. Right. Okay, fair enough. So we'll say that you were spending the morning then, um, you know, rousing people from beds or going into some of these parlors and shaking down people and trying to get word on where this guy is. Well, there's a lot of you're going to do something. You're just going to stand there and bleed. Right. There's like a lot of that. I, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. So I want to leave you there and I want to step over and talk with Jamie. I think it might be a good idea because of your unique background and potentially unique connection to the traditionalist chantry that's here in Chicago, it might be a good to get a good idea from you about where and how you spend your days in the space. What's a what's a regular day for you? Um, a regular day for Jamie would be probably going to bed at about eleven thirty a.m. or so maybe waking up at about six or seven in the evening. They are surrounded by a number of women, which is a a cult that he has uh, garnered. They call themselves Minads, and they pretty much wait on them hand and foot. They come and go, but there's a good number of them around at any given time. He stays drunk a fair amount of time. But they are also, um, they dedicate about an hour a day after they wake up to um, healing the sick because they feel that that's important to help promote their uh, worldview, essentially. Uh, and then they start to really drink. <laughs> okay. And basically, it's a, it's a hardcore party from then until 10, 11 a.m. the next day. Sure. sure. So, so I would imagine then... And feel free to interject if, if I'm wrong. I would imagine then that this period of the Chicago World's Exposition has been just, I mean, there's 300 extra thousand people in the city. Big business. Right. 
big business. It's even more so. There's There's been weeks where I didn't go to sleep. That I would believe. And there's probably been any number of parties. The, the local uh, traditionalist chantry that's here uh, has five members of varying uh, traditions at it. Um, so far, it has been, well, a little lackluster in your opinion. Uh, they don't, um, they don't, they don't, they don't go as deep into their cups as you would prefer. Uh, the two hermetics, yes, there are two of them here, uh, are a little, we'll say, blasé when it comes to parties. One is a coasator house, so that's a house with inside the Order of Hermes. And they're way more interested in doing something different or seeking whatever path that they're on. Um, and the other one is at least fun, and they're a member of House Flambeau. And so setting stuff on fire with them is fun, but you can't set everything on fire all the time. And they don't really drink. Right? Not to excess, anyway. The one you have the deepest connection with is a man named... Howard Holland. Holland is a youth in Atos. And he doesn't drink to excess, but he enjoys watching life ebb and flow in your parties. And that's what he gets his interest from. And you have seen him at parties several times, just sort of look around the room. And he seems to be making some sort of calculation with his eyes. You're not sure what it is specifically um, and then there have been some parties where the next day maybe someone doesn't show back up and and Howard isn't really sure specifically what happened to them but you get this inner sense that he does know and that maybe he doesn't want to tell you I mean you're not muted to the to what the euthanatos do they help the wheel in their own way. And and Howard is a, um, a very straight-laced gentleman, too, in this regard to his dress. He almost wears suits that are a little too tight. And so when I'm, a, I'm, certain, I'm sure that when the two of you are around one another at some of these parties, uh, you, you're very interested in getting him to loosen up. I think the easiest way, or one of the easier ways for me to do that, would just be to influence the group that I'm in and watch how he reacts to that. So by subtle manipulation of um, a number of individuals or just by carousing around, which is what I'm really good at. You are very good at that. I can, you know, just subtly shift the goals and topics of an entire party to shift in a different manner just to, just basically to mess with Howard. Uh, It's, I would say that it's somewhat effective on him in certain occasions. You're fairly certain that Howard does protect himself mentally. That said, it's probably not all the time. Yeah, and I'm, I don't mean that I'm affecting him at all. I'm affecting his count by him being able to predict <laughs> what should happen. I'm trying to influence it just slightly into another direction. Yeah. I, I don't know that he would appreciate it, but I don't know that he's the sort of person who would break, we'll say, common um, social grounds to say anything about it. He would probably continue to hunt and try to find what the pattern is and where the pattern needs to break. And that might be even more enjoyable for you. Because you could just keep shifting things. For sure. You are close 
to going to bed roughly around 10 o'clock or so that morning. When uh, one of your, well, one of your cultists, uh, one of the many cultists, uh, approaches you with a newspaper and with some sincerity says that there is a get-together, a social gathering uh, at, at the end of the day here for a magnificent machine on the eastern portion of the exposition, something that has never been seen before. And there is a rumor that it's a very exclusive party. No one's invited us? Well, they sort of gesture to a box which is overstuffed. The uh, invitation lists have not all been gone through, you understand. Uh, We are sifting through them now. We get invited to so many parties, of course. Well, let's just assume we're going. I mean... They're not going to turn us away. (laughs) (laughs) They'd be silly to. That's so silly. Very well. Then they would ask you what what time you'd like to be awoken to prepare for the party. What what time is it at? Well, the party says that it it begins at 6 p.m., although they believe that nothing interesting will happen until about 8, as most social gatherings. I think we should get up at about 7.30 or so. In that neighborhood. Very well. I don't really care. Whenever we get up, we get up and we'll go. I'm sure the party won't end in an hour. So, and as long as we show up, it'll last for whenever. So it doesn't really matter. They nod. They go back to sifting through the invitations. So, uh, Miss Masters, I would like to know how you spend your day. Well, as always, most of my days are spent uh, at the hospital taking care of the sick and the injured, whether that sick and injured is physical or spiritual. Primarily physical. Sometimes the mind needs as much healing as the body does. And I spend probably 10 to 12 hours a day at the local hospital. And I volunteer my services after that if need be for emergencies. Right. It has been a rather busy few weeks. In fact, it's been a rather busy couple of months with all the extra people in town. With uh, Chicago's streets and shores filling with an additional several hundred thousand people, uh, the city's hospitals have been overrun with additional cases of just about everything. Whether it's a simple, mild malady or whether it's something more extreme, wounds, etc. You definitely get the sense that, well, the city can only take so much of it. It's not like the city spawned an additional several hundred healthcare workers either, right? Uh, And for you, the types of wounds that have been coming in on a fairly regular basis are sort of the after effects of so many different parties or gatherings or street fights or the Levy district being just overrun by a ton of additional people in any number of brothels or gambling halls or saloons. And the, the city's uh, police and administrators will do, do nothing about the Levy district. 
because they know it's one of the reasons why people come to Chicago. They talk all about it in campaign speeches. They talk all about it uh, every chance that they get. But there is no real change that happens because many of them are receiving all of those wonderful paybacks from those businesses. Uh, And that's how many of them afford their fancy houses and beautiful parties and wonderful green spaces, right? Uh, And that's really kind of what you've been left with over the past few weeks. You've been left with full hospital beds and many people that need all sorts of comfort. I guess the other question I would have is, would you have contact with the the council chantry that's here in Chicago? Would you be a part of their group? More than likely. Yeah, so you're aware that there's probably a handful or so of tradition mages. Uh, you would also know that there are some, we'll just say non-traditional will workers here in, in Chicago. There's quite a group of um, well, several members of the Order of Reason who have taken to calling themselves the Technocratic Union. That said, you haven't had any direct contact with them. It seems, anyway, that um, both sides are enjoying a bit of a calm in the overall space. Do you think, Miss Masters, that you would have gone to the exposition to see what it was about? Oh, most definitely. Because there is the rumor that there is a bunch of new technology and everything else, I would be going just to see if there's anything new that they are promoting specifically for medical care. Hmm. Yeah, certainly there are probably devices. There are liniments, I would imagine. There are different expositions by all sorts uh, in, of people in many different categories. So you would have the opportunity to learn a little something. None of them truly are anything more than mundane. Uh, but mundane advances are important too. Right? It can't all be, well, wizards and floppy hats and whatnot, right? But you are aware that morning that um, this is the last day of the exposition. And you have been selected as one of the hospital staff amongst four or five others who will give a final tour, final walk around of that uh, exposition area later this afternoon after your daily duties are done. And your main, your, your, your supervisor, uh, Joseph Willard, is going to be heading up the team. There are a couple of other doctors and then a couple of other nurses who are being allowed to go with. You, while you're at the hospital, Miss Masters, give me a uh, perception alertness roll. Uh, Two successes. Uh, You notice that a couple of the patients, the recent ones that you're treating here, seem to have been, um, we'll say, uh, accosted. Just from the stories that they, they're telling, they seem to have been costed by the same person early this morning. Uh, many of them are in for um, blunt force trauma wounds to the back of their heads. They talk about a a wild marshal that's been tipping over tables and kicking open doors in the Levy district. 
And if the tale is to be told, it seems that no less than five or six of the men around you have had been uh, accosted by the same person. And you pick up that they are looking for a, that, that the, this marshal is looking for a gentleman by the name of Weatherton. And it's a name you've heard before. And the reason why you have heard of this person, this, this businessman, is that you've had to treat several of his workers for abrasions and burns from some of the pressing equipment that he has them use. So girls no older than nine or ten. And you've heard some pretty ghastly stories about the production buildings that he heads up. Yeah, I'm sure that I'm not the biggest fan of uh, Mr. Weatherton if he's sending young girls into my hospital to uh, be treated. I definitely don't believe in child labor. No, I wouldn't imagine. I wouldn't imagine you do. Uh, I don't imagine the Celestial Chorus uh, looks kindly on child labor. Although I could be wrong. Being primarily a religious, a, a, a more religious sect in general, we don't generally appreciate things that take great advantage of the human population in general. So by and large, the most of you spend the day doing essentially what you are known to do. So Jamie sleeps because <laughs> he's got because they have got to recover from several nights of partying and wine and, and flesh and song and more wine. Travis, the marshal spends the better part of the day essentially ripping apart the district. You get into several verbal altercations with Chicago police officers who are a little bit more concerned about you biting into their territory to police. Um, but they're not really doing a very effective job. Sure. And you know that. And they know that you know that. You do get a couple of leads on Worthington. The biggest one comes at about two o'clock. And that is you get someone in one of these flop houses to cop to the the news that he is going to be making his way into the exposition uh, via uh, a horse-drawn carriage. Oh. Because okay. he's a fancy, fancy, fancy lad. Uh, and then he'll be going to a very exclusive party tonight uh, that's going to be attended by many many wonderfully rich people. Do I know who is uh, driving that carriage or how he's acquiring that carriage? Um, you know that the, you don't know them personally, no. No, but I mean, like, do I, am I aware of where the carriage is coming from? Not as of yet. Uh, so it, it, it has been, there has been rumors that he has moved a lot of his production up to Milwaukee as well. And so he may be coming from some some way north okay. to come to the exposition. But you do know, you do find out where the party is. Okay. And you have the ability, given your time and a map of the exposition site, where you could plot his most like, likely route. All right. Um, and, you know, infer some potential method of interception therein. So I'm reasonably certain he's going to be at this event. Yeah. All right. Uh, would I be able to use my backup to bring together collection of deputy marshals 
Chicago police, whoever I can get to stand around in a big circle while I basically stand there and I yell, listen, <laughs> you know, <laughs> our guy's going to be here. You know, I want checkpoints up at two miles. I want you to keep an eye on every farmhouse, outhouse, and hen house. <laughs> You're going to attempt to form a posse, sir. I am, in fact, forming a, par- a posse, yes. Okay. Good to know. So that will take a little time to come together as posses do not, well, unless it's magic, do not just fall out of your pocket. And I don't have any posse generating magic, unfortunately. <laughs> Correct. Correct. And then for you, Xander. I'd like to know how you're going to spend the balance of your day between where Madeline and you leave things off and then where the party exists at. So give me a give me a day in the life of at the exposition. Or or not or not, depending on if you've got other things to do. Sure, depending on uh if if the because I'm assuming that I have to spend if I'm going to to do any performances or or try to put on shows, it's going to be it's not going to be at any collected place. It's going to be kind of in the streets. Kind of wandering. What is it? The, the Mayfair? Is it the Mayfair? What's it called? The, not the Mayfair. Yeah, it's the Mayfair. I know what you're talking about. The um, there's a specific word for it. It's kind of like the outer, the outer bounds, mm-hmm. where all of the other, you know, independents are operating. That's one way to put it. Yes. Yeah, we'll spend a little bit of time there, just just to make sure that anyone who took an interest in the tricks that I was doing, I've been very, very careful to catalog who has seen what because, well, um, there's absolutely no reason to show the same person the same trick twice. Whenever someone asks me to perform a trick again, I will just always kind of leave them wanting more. I will always provide them with a promise that there will be more to see and that if they keep their ears to the ground, they may find me when they least expect me. Beyond that, I will shuffle the card off to Ruby with a note attached to it. I'll probably write on the back. We can't be late for the love of God. Don't let me be late. And then I will kind of feed the card into my pocket, into her pocket to make sure that she has the information that she needs. Fair enough. So let me set a bit of the scene then. I guess before I do that, Travis with the marshal, what's your charisma plus certification um six dice all right so roll six dice for me difficulty six i will take off i will drop the difficulty by one because you're a federal agent okay cool i don't have any specialties so my tens just count as the two successes mm-hmm. in age 20 i believe yeah i believe that's true all right so one two three four five successes Okay, five successes. So I will say that you are able to gather a posse total of 20 individuals. Given the space of the fair, 20 people is a drop in the bucket. Sure. But given the map and given where it is likely they might enter or or egress, you can probably cover... I would say 30% of the important entrances and exits you would need to. Okay. So you are going to have to pick your spots a little bit. That's fine. Um, I'd also like to 
I'm going to take a page out of old Tommy Edison's book. I don't have a whole lot of money, but I do have resources in one. Mm-hmm. So I'd also like to pay a couple of the local uh, younger kids. Just, you know, slide them a nickel and say, hey, you see if any fancy uh, stagecoach come whipping through here? Give me a mm-hmm. holler. Sure. <laughs> okay. And then I guess, given that you have 20 individuals stretched between local Chicago police officers, other other deputy marshals, and then we'll say a smattering of street urchins. Uh, <laughs> you, give me the largest goose. Right. Yeah. We'll say that you're set in that space uh, and as best you can have prepared for uh, this coach that's supposed to arrive. Now, am I able to get access to the party? So access to the party comes by invitation that you know. Right. And getting that would probably have to be a conversation with this Matthew Masterson. Because if there's nothing that the Victorian era liked better than alliterative, (laughs) Matthew Masterson and his magnificent machine. Lots of M's. So getting into Masterson's party is by invitation only. You would be aware of that. Uh, That said, your certification probably can't get you through the door, right? Unless you actually have someone you're trying to arrest. Right. So if you were going to overcome the need for the invitation, you'd have to really do it one of two ways. Either you'd have to contact the party beforehand and say for whatever made-up reason that you needed an invitation because of something you came up with. I wouldn't want to um, create that excuse for you. Or you would have to wait until the quarry was inside and then have thus legal right Right. to enter the party to make the arrest. Right. I don't suppose my dance card would have anybody that might have an invite to that. Not that you're aware of, uh, unfortunately. Hmm. Now, these invitations, this party in a public spot. The party is outside the main exposition area, although not public grounds. It's technically fair grounds, which means it's within inside the purview of the city of Chicago. Yeah, I'm just wondering um, if there's like a... So the security situation is not really going to be established until the party starts, I would imagine. Right? So there's probably not a whole lot I can do. Yeah, I think what I'll probably do, honestly, is just... Uh, post up somewhere very close, somewhere high where I can get as much view as possible. Make sure that everybody who I've dispatched knows where I'm posted Mm -hmm. and wait for the party to start. Okay. So we'll roll the clock forward unless anybody else has anything specific they want to prepare before the event. I would like to make sure that my perch is, you know, got nice wind and a a nice clear shot. Sure. Just in case I need to in case you need to start the party early. No, I understand. Okay. So several hours pass and we roll forward to uh, about five o'clock. It's at this point, Miss Masters, your day ends. It's at this point, Xander, where Ruby reminds you, oh, hey, boss, by the way, we, we need to go to that party. And it's interesting, too, because even though you had been thinking about it most of the day, Xander, it's still somehow the time managed to get away from you. Yes, it does. You have no idea how. Perfect. Where's my left shoe? That's a great question. You start looking around. 
There it is. I go get the other one. Wait, no, you have two left shoes, yeah. Uh, I will uh, make sure that I am nice and tidy for the party. And mm-hmm. I will check the invitation. Is it is it simply afforded to me, or am I allowed to bring my assistant? You can bring your assistant. It's a it's a plus one invitation. You can bring them. You're not sure if Madeline has an invitation, or if you if she's supposed to be your plus one. You never really worked that out, and so there is a little concern that you bring someone in case you're supposed to come in with her. So. As to not uh, commit any social faux pas, additional social faux pas, um, <laughs> I've already put my foot in it a couple times. I will sure. I'll hold up a finger. Ruby, I've, I've had an inspirational moment. I need you to do research while this party is happening. She looks immediately excited and then sort of trails off for a moment. Oh, uh, wait research during the party? Well, the assumption is that a lot of people will be there, which means that other people may be more available, specifically for competition. Oh. Okay, so you want me to, like, spy on someone? Say words like that out loud. Study them. Observe them. Be entertained. Participate. Engage their performances. And if you happen to spot how they did something, please don't make it obvious during their show. We're looking to up anyone's career. She gets out a pad of paper and starts taking shorthand. But specifically, we want to make sure that no one is aping our act. Oh, no, no, of course not. We wouldn't want that. So, uh, just to be clear then, she gets a little mousy. Does this mean that I'm not going to the party with you? You have a much more important mission, Ruby. She accepts it. Nods very slowly. Of course. But keep your ears open, as I may whisper. And I walk out the door. You walk out the door. Okay. So, with Miss Masters off work, and with Xander on on his way to the soiree, it's it's probably 7 o'clock or so. And Marshall, you have been in position for a good hour and a half. I shift my legs. <laughs> you have found a a fantastic perch on top of the engineering building. All right. It's actually a place that you have the ability to cordon off from visitors. Sweet. The downside, of course, is that this party taking place in another building is a, is about 150 or 200 feet away. You'll get a great vantage point of people arriving. But then you'll have to go down several long flights of stairs to make any physical. I've had an hour and a half, right? Yeah. Do I? I mean, that's a great question. I would put that to you. Mm, Do no, you? Yeah. I, I only have conjuration. I don't want to try to. I could bring it to me. Getting over there is probably a little bit much to ask for my path magic at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's not correspondence. So. It is not correspondence. It is a very different thing. But... What I might have time to do, first off, see if a deputy can scare me up something to eat. Oh, certainly. Um, secondly, certainly. <laughs> are these both relatively high buildings? N- well, no. So the building you're at is relatively tall. Okay. In the sense that this is an observation point that looks out about over the canals and then also 
gives you a great vantage point of where this building is at. And this building where the party's at is maybe two to three stories, which is grand in its own right, but is not as opulent as uh, the the builder's you know section or, or the main area. It's it's sort of off in its own corner. So I have to go. I have to go down and over to get there. So like yeah, some running some rope or something isn't going to be. Then yeah, I guess I, I'll man that vantage point because um, I have no real way of. But I, what I will do though is I'll order as as the party approaches time. I'd like to at least put one person on the door. Mm-hmm. And so what what they tell you it's a, it's a local guy, and what he tells you is that what they do is they carry handheld mirrors, and what he'll do is he'll flash a mirror up at you, and it'll give, be able to give you. In, well, in that fancy, yeah, let's do that. Um, and then don't let him out if he shows up. Signal me, don't let him out. Understood. The evening falls, and with it, Jamie, you awaken. It's just a little bit before 7.30. Your your fellow members have uh, let you know it's time to wake, and it's time to uh, go to a party. Imagine most of them sleep like it's a tangle of bodies, so they're not a lot of them awake when I'm not awake as well. So it's an unfolding process that has to take a few moments. Yes. I imagine it's a cuddle pile of flesh Mm. and all sorts of uh, pillows and blankets. I mean, there's an awful lot of them, right? Yeah. uh, 22 or so, 23, something like that. I don't count. Sizable number of bodies. It's a big pile. Okay. Uh, You uh, rouse possibly arouse from your slumber very likely i mean i'm gonna follow what i normally would do which is just go about my business like i mean there's a party that's there's nothing special about this for me at least Mm -hmm. um so i imagine that we've um kind of gotten a word around that if you're if you're willing to to uh go down a happier path and uh, you can have some of your burdens lifted. You know, your um, your ills, spiritual and physical can be removed. Undoubtedly. There's, uh, there's just, it's a little bit odd, but apparently you have to, you know, dance and drink it off. Uh, but it works wonders, but I only do it for a certain amount of time every day because, um, you know, it's tiring. Can't mm. can't can't be uh, beneficial all day long. It's just too much balance. So we'll we'll start with that. We'll start uh, accepting uh, entrance uh, into my presence as if some sort of messed up, self deluded deity of a sort. Certainly, the delusions continue for likely a good. I guess I I wouldn't want to put a time limit on it. Uh, long enough probably for you to gather your needed energy and to not be too terribly late to this soiree. For sure. Uh, and how far away is this uh, party? You said it earlier that it's outside of the the grounds. Uh, so we'll go ahead and prep uh, to get ready. Like you had mentioned, uh, we're all, I'm all popped up. Um, there's a couple of more people who are 
exceptionally happy that they can walk again or they have no more cancer. I'm not really sure what I did with them. I don't pay that much attention. Um, <laughs> however, I am getting dressed and I do like to get dressed. Okay, so what is, uh, what's Jamie wearing to said party? I imagine they're wearing a, um, a Greek pelops or peplos rather, uh, which is like a traditional uh, Greek dress, but with a, um, with a purple and gold brocaded robe over the top of it that kind of trails behind them forces them to also walk with their arms out, which is just so that they can hold the weight of the damn thing. Mm. And then the, the Minads will be uh, just in plain white peplos dresses as well with their hair pinned back. That's what okay. they always wear. So let, let me set the stage for you if, if I can then with um, this soiree. And I'm going to do so through the perceptions of many of you, um, but I'm going to start with our marshal. Marshal, the partygoers, as they arrive, are a a cross-section of the upper class of Chicago society. So these are finely dressed gentlemen, well-dressed women, likely anywhere from the rich to the ultra-rich that arrive. There are very few common people. And then, I don't know, a, a, a group of... A procession. Yes, a, a procession begin to arrive. And you can tell them because they're totally caught apart from the fashion of today's society. And this makes zero sense to you. Because they're not dressed for an elegant party. But it isn't really more than a few moments with these we'll say people at the door before the first few we would say roadblocks to entrance to a big social party step out of the way I don't imagine they give Jamie much trouble they they appear to be about like 15 or 16 and you're not sure of a gender entirely um, clean shaven with long like a chestnut brown hair and they're surrounded by obviously adult women it's a, it's a stark contrast between uh, him and most others. All right, so this is a little concerning. I mean, it's 1895 and I'm a cop, so I'm probably, I'm probably <laughs> nice. That's probably my thing. Right. Uh, it looks like I like Shakespeare in the Park, but yeah. before Shakespeare in the Park. Looks like it looks like the people from the Sophocles production down the street just got out and came out on street. So it's some theater kids. Yeah, no, it's some theater kids. It's fine. It's probably literally what I think too. Um, and then for you, Xander, you, you would probably see this procession as you're arriving as well. There's quite quite a few of them, and I don't. I guess we should we should uh, clarify this. Jamie, do you feel are you a local to Chicago? Yes. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say if if there's no objection, Xander, you likely know of this person just because of, well, because of the parties that get thrown. Mm-hmm. You may have done work at some of them, or been at a party when they've arrived, and they sort of take over the tempo of a party. You're aware of this, 
And so in that regard, it does not shock you that they're here. Well, and they are, they're a loving bunch, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that's one way to put it. Fairy. Fairy. Love is the magician that pulls man out of his own hat. So respect be to the cult leader. I'm not a man of faith, be it healthy or otherwise. But, you know, if they are uh, happy and healthy, I am unconcerned. If anything, they uh, provide me with plenty of cover should I need it. So I will I will give way. They are a walking distraction. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That could prove very useful. So uh, Miss Masters will we'll end with a with a note for you. You have managed to separate yourself from the rest of your uh well, boss in the hospital. <laughs> uh, and at least a little bit, and you have been drawn in just by the allure of a very late night end of the exposition party which is going on Uh, and what draws you in is very much likely someone you've seen at the Chicago Shantry before and that is this (laughs) cultist and you probably also know the reputation that um, many ills have been healed at some of these parties and that would be something that you would be drawn to Oh, for sure. So in front of this large building, wide, not tall, but but wide, a gentleman in a top hat and a proper suit come out. And he extends his hand back to these double closed doors and two spotlights from nearby pedestals illuminate it and him. And he says... Come join us. Come see Mr. Masterson's magical machine. And there's a band that gets struck struck up. You don't see one, but you hear the music. And there's fanfare and horns and the doors open. And when the doors open, there's this depth of a, of a portal inside which you cannot see beyond. You begin to see several horse-drawn carriages arrive. There's probably three or four of them. As they arrive, Marshall, you eventually get a refraction from both the spotlight and the mirror as uh, you get a signal. I will start beating feet down that way and hope that all my people have the good sense not to let this guy get away. And we are going to find out what happens next, next time. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of, we'll call it Mage the Ascension, the Victorian age. And we look forward to seeing what happens next time.